Let me uh, spit words out rather than just go bip bip bip. Hi, this is Dustin Christman. First fan, Carlos Ruiz apologist, third degree patron, occasional third degree contributor, and former Cotton Bowl loudmouth. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Shop Soccer 90 for all of your FC Dallas U.S. national team and international club gear. The new MLS jerseys have landed, including the new FC Dallas home jersey. All Third Degree listeners receive 20% off their purchase when you use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode, number please, 149 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, with first Dan Crook, always ready, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hello, Peter. Sorry, I wasn't ready then. (laughs) So you're not always ready. You've already proven me wrong right off the bat. And uh, everybody's hero, the amazing Buzz Carrick, come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. How are you today? I'm good, Buzz. Please pimp your Patreon. Tell everybody what they get for their dollars. Oh, yeah. If you choose to support us on the Patreon, you get a little uh, the little bonus uh, Third Degree Burns that are, uh, you know, sort of every other day, a little mini podcast, if you will, about various topics. Uh, and then if you choose to support at a certain higher level, you can have a reward of the Discord community small community of like-minded supporters of this particular podcast or website. And of course, we also have t-shirts you can get too, if you, if you prefer to spend your money that way. Sweet, clean t-shirts. Those are the best. Well, we uh, the new season approaches ever closer, and today we got to watch on a stream an actual preseason game as Dallas was down in Austin facing off against the fire. How many teams are down in Austin right now? Does anybody know? Four that I know of, uh, whoever Houston played today, I don't remember who it was. Um, but I, other than that, I, I've heard that there might be more, but I wasn't really paying attention, to be honest. Okay, so uh, since we last spoke a week ago, Dallas has played in two of these preseason games uh, several days ago against uh, San Antonio, and then, as I said today, Chicago. The first game against San Antonio was a drubbing 6 nothing, but today was a more of the donuts kind of serving 0-0. What are, any big takeaways from the two games from you two guys? Well, for me, um, the, the first game, San Antonio game, they'd only been in training camp for 10 days, and they had a bunch of trellis. And honestly, that was absolutely worthless other than like running around and getting some fitness. I mean, that it, it was, what, 5 nothing within 30 minutes. North Texas would give you a better game, frankly. Um, no offense to San Antonio. I'm sure it's just where they were in this season. Uh, the second game was much more valuable, the Chicago game. So I, it's the one. I like that covering your ass from yeah. the San Antonio well, fans. <laughs> I mean, there are some San Antonio fans out there that probably would blast me and tell me all about why they were bad. That you know, okay, I get it. That team was not ready to play. They got blasted. That wasn't good. Right. Um, I'm sure there's reasons, you know, reasons and stuff. So the Chicago game is much more important. And the the number one massive takeaway for me on the Chicago game was the absolutely crazy effect the wing flip-flopping had on the Dallas's ability to not play in the offensive end, but to build out of the back. It was for five minutes. They were horrible. They couldn't even get to midfield. Then they flipped the wings. They started with Ariella right and around left. They flipped the wings at the five minute mark. And all of a sudden it was like the glorious passing, dominating, making all the chances up until the 30th minute mark. And then they flipped the wings back and it went to crap again. Mm-hmm. And every time they flipped it, 
every time they moved Ariel to the left and Obi-Wan to the right, it was great. Every time it was the other way around, it was terrible. And I have no idea why high wings would affect your ability to build out of the back, but it did. And it was remarkable. It may, maybe it made somebody else sit back or maybe it wanted, Ariel checks more or something into the right sort of gaps. I, I really have no idea. I'd have to break it down, even you know, watch it again to try and figure out why. But um, that's a mystery. But I do like the high number of wing flips that keeps people on their toes defensively on the other end and makes them constantly adjusting, which is a good thing. Yeah, the thing I was surprised was I did not have Brandon Cervania having the team's first two shots from inside the box uh, with late midfield runs on my bingo card. Yeah, that that was he was my man of the match actually because of that adaptation. He's always been a good box to box player, but for him to show that new phase of getting forward because you want both of your eights to be able to do that, Paxton naturally does that. So it's a nice progression for Brandon to be doing that, and which is really good. Uh, Dan, what, what about you? What did you take away from the Chicago game? Uh, I was uh, trying to ignore some uh, meeting that I was supposed to be in to watch it. <laughs> so the last uh, twenty minutes, I didn't get to see a whole lot of. But yeah. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I if I'm putting it down to uh, to Marcy and and Obreon just kind of their trigger points being so different because to Marcy seems to line up pretty nicely with Ariola where he he drops back quite a bit further. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a disconnect anytime they do that flip uh, with Ariola on the left and and Obreon on the right. So I, I, I like you, Buzz, I, I found that to be very un- curious and, and confusing as to why the team seemed to be so incapable of getting out of their own half until they made the switch. But I, the one big takeaway, and again, this is the first time I've seen the team play this year, but remember when we started learning about Nico and Jesus um, as playing as a nine and playing as a false nine, I told you that I had a big concern. Anytime I hear this concept that, uh, that Dallas is going to play as a false nine, that that actually worried me. And a lot of what I thought I saw today, and again, it's the, it's so early, like they're still figuring this out, but it did reinforce my concern that playing a formation with Jesus as a false nine is not going to be a smooth and easy transition. No, uh, the funny thing is, is that Jesus has always played like that. This is not the funny part that for FC Dallas, going all the way back to when he was in the academy. Uh, he this is the what's the funny part is that he doesn't do that with the national team. When he plays with the false nine with the national team, he stays where he's supposed to stay. False nine doesn't mean come back behind the six, which is right. what he did a couple of times <laughs> against Chicago. You know, there's a difference. Now, my, my personal theory is that um, Lucci, I think that Jesus was always Lucci Gonzalez's favorite player. And so all through the academy and then into the first team, Lucci let Jesus do whatever he wanted to do tactically. And I think it's I think that's the case, even if he wouldn't admit it. It's a, unconsciously the case because Jesus is a clone of the way, although a better one, of the way Lucci played when Lucci was a player in college and in MLS. He plays the same way. So hey, so Lucci, I think, always was like, you're doing awesome, kid. Now, it'll be interesting now when you have Nico Seves here who came from the national team. I now wonder if we'll see an adaptation. You'll see him go back to Jesus and say, you can't play like that. You have to play like you played for the U.S. You know, there's a big difference, as I just joked, between the false nine as it should be and what we saw against Chicago when literally there were times where he was behind Edwin. So I know he wants to be part of the build. I think he's trying to do too much. And I think it'll probably talk about this more later in the show on your five talking points, Peter, I imagine. 
Yes, nice uh, preview. We will. I have five Jeez. things I want to worry about or I want to discuss, so we'll talk about those here in a little bit. Hey, Dan, um, so far you at least have gotten to see him a little bit in a Dallas shirt now. Are you feeling any better about Paul Ariola? Yeah, I turned to Buzz in the press box the other day. I was like, I've seen Paul Ariola have a good game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I realized that, um, and I sort of, I, I, when I was, I, let me uh, spit words out rather than just go bit bit bit. Um so for the presser afterwards, uh Ariola was one of the players they brought in and, and it occurred to me partway through the game why I'd never seen him have a good game. He's played at Toyota Stadium exactly once before that, which was the twenty sixteen uh under twenty threes Olympic qualifying game they lost to Colombia. So I've only ever seen him in person play that and two games for the US who you know, he's kind of struggled with at times. And, uh, yeah, no, I, was, I, was, I actually asked him, I was like, hey, uh, you know, last time you played it was kind of a pretty bad night, that uh, under-23s game. He's like, yeah, I know, it's, uh, it's kind of weird to be in MLS for all this time and not actually come out here. But he's uh, excited to make Dallas his home now. And, hey, if he plays anything like he has the last couple of games, fantastic. The other player that I thought was interesting to see today for the first time was Marco Farfan starting on the left. Uh, I thought there was a lot to like, at least in the very weird limited angle we could see in the game against Chicago today. He seems to be uh, a decent pickup for the for the crew. You mean not crew as in Columbus, but yeah, you, for the group, <laughs> for the for the team, for the roster. Uh, yeah, defensive first player, better. Defensively, of course, than Ryan Honestad, who is not a defensive first player. That's not a shot at Ryan. It's, they're different kinds of players. Farfan has a little bit of ability to get forward. You know, he's more adequate uh, in the verticality aspect than Johnny Nelson. I don't know that we know yet if Farfan's a better passer or dribble than Johnny Nelson. So right now he's similar to Johnny, but with a little more verticality. So that's, you know, positive. Uh, and, and at this point, healthy and Johnny's not. So that's mm-hmm. part of why Johnny's not here. Um, you know, there's a lot to like if you're looking at a team that is trying to stabilize its defense first. That was one of the biggest things they've cited as a problem compared to last year. And if you're looking for your wings to be a little more of a uh, support, your high, your sorry, your outside back to be a little bit more of a support your wing and then go into the space the wing vacates, then that's a good fit there. Um, as is Tuomasi on the other side. So. Um, again, in the long run, I think you'll definitely see Parker some this year. I, it's not going to be opening day, of course, but um, I, I think in the long run, Parker will be the starter. Maybe not in the long run this season, but he'll definitely start games this season. All right. I did not get to see the second half of today's game against Chicago. Did Parker play today? He did. He played yeah. the last uh, 30. They, they made a full line switch at the 60 minute mark. Okay. Did he turn to the camera and say, hey, thanks for all the kind words you said about me, Buzz? <laughs> no, he no, he did not. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's... I'm sure he was thinking it. Yeah, I, I doubt it. I certainly hope not. Uh, he might be thinking that I must be good enough if they're getting rid of their left back. But, um, you know, I he probably is worried about trying to win a spot, you know, trying to impress a new coach. You know, you only get yeah. your first one chance to make a first impression with a new team and new coach. So can I, uh, Buzz, can I steal a bit of yours and do a little bit of a Huntsman dump here? Yeah, absolutely. So would it surprise either one of you to find out uh, that I can confirm through an extremely good source that Ryan Hollingshead, in fact, did not ask for a trade and, in fact, didn't even know a trade was coming? 
yeah, that does not surprise me at all that that's the case. I mean, I really, I, yeah, I, uh, like I told you last week that I felt like the trigger for this thing was Parker, you know, that I'm now I'm sure that there's some ground level, uh, you know, Ryan always wants to go back to California sort of, you know, underneath this whole thing. But, um, I'm actually, uh, not shocked. I mean, I, I would have been more shocked if you'd have told me that you were able to confirm that he had asked for a trade. Cause I don't think Ryan's that kind of guy. He's not a boat rocker, you know, he's mm-hmm. a all in we're all family kind of guy. So like for him to say, now I know it's a family first kind of thinking, but he's as he's a team player, he's a leader, you know, an emotional guy that everyone bonds onto. I, I just, I don't see him as a guy that asked to be traded. So I'm not surprised by that at all that he, that he did not in fact ask to be traded. I don't know, Dan. Were were you are you surprised by that, or am I just overly? No surprise than anything that, I mean, a player who's uh, served that much time with you, you wouldn't at least say, "Hey, you know, we're, this is what we're thinking of doing." Yeah, yeah. Now that part's a surprise. Not telling him you were thinking about it—that's surprising. See, I think that gets back to the thing that we talked about last week, which is that's what's different about this year is that all those emotional ties have been severed because you've got a completely unrelated new coaching staff, not completely, but essentially a whole new bunch of guys in here making decisions that don't have all the emotional attachments. In some ways, maybe that's a good thing. Um, You know, I think Ryan will be great for LAFC and I'm sure ultimately, you know, they'll love being back in California and it probably is a win-win for everybody. But um, I found, I, you know, when I, when I uh, got that uh, confirmation back, I was somewhat, uh, I was a bit surprised. So, um, okay. I think, I think that you have to be, and we've said this before, you have to be brutal in your play and personnel decisions. And it's why, in fact, usually you have, in a lot of ways, you have a player personnel guy, a technical director, and not your coach that's making yeah. these decisions, you know, because you don't want the coach to be the bad guy in that regard. Now, obviously, a new coach gives you an opportunity to say, okay, boys, clean slate across the board, no more relationships with the guys that have been here before. You know, you can you can take away from that that idea, but in the end, it's that's why you a big part of why you have these guys like TDs. And and really, I agree with you, Peter, that as much as we love Ryan, this kind of brutalness is the word I like to use. This ruthlessness in your roster moves is the way it has to be. It's and very New England Patriots. It is. It is. Now they like to talk about family, and they like to do a lot of like trading him to LA specifically. Or trading guys when they ask to be traded and not making a big stink about it. Those are the things they do that are that they do try and pay off people of the relationships. But at the same time, they did trade him without, as you were reporting here, trade him without asking him basically, or or him asking it for it basically. So uh, that's you know, or not really telling him that it was in the cards. So that's that that is more ruthless, and I think it's actually okay. Uh, just, just to kind of sum up everything about the two scrimmages since, uh, uh, you know, that have happened. The other thing that I noticed today was, man, I can't tell you all the warm fuzzies it gives me to see Paxton Pomacall running around the middle of the field doing Paxton Pomacall things. It's, it just makes me feel so good about this season and hopefully yeah. he looks good, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. looks like old Paxton. Yeah. He has a, uh, uh, today I started using the term reborn uh, in the sense that he looks bright and active and happy, you know, the way he's carrying himself. It's all, it's so exciting to see. I mean, we'll see how it goes over the course of the season. Got to stay healthy, but um, you know, right now it's super exciting. 
Um, okay, so enough about that. So there's two other big things to talk about today. One is the aforementioned my five talking points for the 22 season. But there's also something equally important, which is kit talk. Because mm. yesterday, Wednesday, they started rolling out the new kits for Major League Soccer. Dallas is, comes out Friday. Uh, do we? Which one do we want to do first, guys? I'll let I'll let you guys decide between yourselves, and we'll go from there. Oh, what are the options? Well, at the five talking points or Kit Talk, which one do you want to do? Oh, let's do Kit Talk. Kit Talk first. Okay. Yeah. Kit Talk first. Uh, so right off the bat, we get a new away jersey for the evil, awful, annoying Austin FC. They're calling it the Sentimentiento Kit, which means that it's toothpaste mint green, um, which drives me batshit. Because I don't like it when clubs wear essentially the same color, just a different shade uh, for both their f- primary and secondary. Because I think this creates all sorts of problems. For example, Austin going to Seattle. Who's going to wear what? And it's going, you know, I know last year there was that weird game where in Austin they wore their black and green and Seattle wore their green. But I thought that was a really poor kid assignment. So. You guys got any feelings about this particular setup? Seattle in their purple at home, or well, I I guess I you'd almost have to do both away because the black and purple. I, I mean, the reason why I assume when they went to Austin last year they didn't wear their black and purple is because Austin's main jersey is actually mostly black when you really think about it. Negro, Peter, it's Negro. Oh right, it's Negro. Yes. <laughs> wait, is it? Wait, no, no Buzz, wait, we're not allowed no. to say Negro. You know oh, that. I, am. I don't work for Austin. I'm allowed oh, to say Negro. Okay, well, you know they're gonna think poorly of you and think you're a racist. But anyway, so I, I don't know. I just I, I think the color is uh, the as a shirt in general, it's great. I just don't like it that it's another green shirt for Austin. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, the the technicality there, um, and as you point out, that the the Austin's primary jersey is black shorts and a mostly black jersey, like eighty percent black jersey. So technically, that's their quote dark jersey, and this lime green is their quote light jersey. And Seattle is the opposite. The purple and black one is their quote dark jersey, and the green one is their light jersey. So by MLS rules, and I'm not, I agree with you, it looks terrible. But by MLS rules, Seattle in their rave green against Austin in their blue and the green and black stripes is technically light versus dark by all measures of what MLS considers to be their kit rules. Hmm. So right. you, you could go black and purple versus the Verde, you know, they've, they've relaxed a lot, not the light versus dark, you know, matchup thing. You don't have to go that way all the time if the kits are different enough, but uh, in, in principle, anything that they've approved as either light or dark ought to be able to go up against the other one. So um, I wonder if they'll just uh, register that white kit as a thir- like a third. Like uh, Sporting Kansas City did it a few times when they had the navy away and the sky blue home. Yeah. They did mm. use that silver again, like over and over again. It certainly wouldn't shock me to see Seattle uh, or Austin either one have a third kit you know, and guys, any given guys, year. That Seattle jersey has two tones of purple. There's no black in it. Oh, is it? No, oh, yeah, it <laughs> it's crazy. It's really dark purple. Oh, oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, did anybody ever see a picture with the new uh, mint green Austin jersey with shorts and socks? No. Do we know? Is it all no. one color, or do we know? We don't know. No, I don't know. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I think we're gonna pick up on a theme on Adidas going with monocolored shirts this year. Colorado's is just a 
very maroon burgundy uh, shirt with the uh, light blue trim, uh, but a cool little sublimation of mountains in there, and I don't really know what else to say about it, other than the fact that I think it's cool they wear light blue shorts and socks with it. Yeah, I, I have felt for the last few years that that, that Rapids primary burgundy and sky blue, whatever whatever they really call those colors in their book, I don't care, that's what they are, um, is nice. It's a nice cut kit combo. Yeah. Sorry, that was a great contribution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I think the topographical map thing looks really cool. Uh, the Rapids did really well in all their, in their photos. They've got backdrops of it as well uh, with the players kind of sitting in front of it that, you know, stops it looking like a crappy squiggle on a shirt like uh, Houston's Last Away and the uh, Rail Salt Lake home. Mm. Like uh, turning on a Facebook page and seeing an old girl from high school hanging out with her super hot husband and good looking family. I see a star on the Rapids jersey, and that hurts a lot. Mm. Mm, that yeah. hurts a lot. Then we move to the LA Galaxy. <clears throat> I there's a lot of stars on that. There are a lot of stars on that, both on the sleeves, the collar, and then above a crest. Uh, there is a lot, but what is not here is the sash, and I am a bit surprised they took off the sash. Yeah, that kit's making a run for the most boring kit in MLS history. It's up there. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Not, I think not, that's not a hard. History. I think that's, yeah, I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, I don't mind a white shirt. I just don't know why they would take the sash off, I guess is what I'm saying. I think just so they can refresh it then on the next kit release. Like, uh, you know, if they, let's say they made the green and, and yellow, the old like yellow and green one, just flip the colors so it's a dark. Well, you could really hype the sash up then. If, yeah. you, if it's still on the home kit, it's kind of hard to. And having the sash on this current home kit that's got those quasars as like a sublimation on the jersey itself as well, that that would kind of take away from that effect as well. It's hmm. awful. Stop it. <laughs> and uh, the, the pictures show them wearing it with uh, white shorts and white socks. All right. Uh, we got a new New England Revolution crest after all these years and it's very uh rangers-esque uh but they also got a very very plain navy blue shirt with a sublimated block design in the background i don't again That's like this weird. is just a huh, yeah it's another very kind of mono you know here's the thing how many legendary clubs throughout europe have really boring kind of monocolored shirts like this there's tons of them so uh maybe we shouldn't be all hyped up about silly graphical designs but this is this is pretty plain i'd say it's as it's as plain as the la uh, jersey well, it helps that they've worn, uh, you know, off-colored shorts for a few years now, either white or red, you know, which break it up and make it look better than the solid, you know, blue, navy blue top to the bottom. Uh, unfortunately, Buzz, the, the article I'm reading does say that the Revs apparently are going to wear it with blue shorts. Oh, oh yeah, that's, oh, you know, yeah. that's not good. That's a regression. Now, speaking of uh, sublimated checkers in the background, New York Red Bulls do have a red away jersey. Again, I'm so confused why they wear red away and not at home, but whatever. Uh, and the the highlight of this kit is that it has a very Croatia-esque-like checkerboard in the background of slightly darker squares with the regular red squares, but they're almost like drawn in pencil. or It's, it's some graphical design. It's not bad looking. I actually think this is kind of a cool-looking shirt. Yeah, I think it's really good, actually. Um, yeah. You guys will have to check me, but don't all the Red Bull teams wear white at home? Isn't that a thing? Yeah. Salzburg and so it's not surprising that they do that. Okay. 
Um, and and the checker pattern, I mean that that goes back with them. They've their current away jersey has it, but much smaller. Their captain's armband always has it on. It's it's on like some of the banners around Red Bull Arena. It's I don't mm. know, somehow they they associate it with, with it, but uh, it's it's nice to see them actually having a theme and and uh, embracing that. Uh, and then we. Uh, come to good old Portland Timbers and what I have can only describe as 1930s grandma's curtains and they are <laughs> glorious is the new away shirt which is in vapor pink with a rose pattern uh, design just you know this is the failure of this shirt is the fact that they didn't take the pattern all the way around the back and the pattern is uh, spaced out so the Alaska Airlines things doesn't get uh, obscured in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I I I assume this has largely been loved by everybody. Um, I made the joke about Grandma's curtains, but I do think this is a cool idea. Yeah, for me, this one when they when they first put it out, when it was just like on bat various backgrounds or or you know in some video or something, I didn't think it looked that great. Then they put out some images of people wearing it like casual wear. And that's when it sort of clicked for me that like, this is a kit that's meant to be sold to people to be wearing around, you know, that's got, I got a hip, you know, hipster vibe to it, you know, like a throwback, like you say, grandma's curtains. <laughs> that's funny, but that's kind of true. It's got an old school sort of flavor to it, to me. Um, so I think this is one, one where they, they were worried way more about what it would sell like and what it would look like people wear it around than they do actually on the field. Cause from the top of the stands, it's just going to look like a muddied sort of off pinkish brownish thing, <laughs> you know? But Dan, what do you? I'm interested. What Dan thinks of this design and color? Uh, color's fine. Uh, I think the the pink and and purpley burgundy is a great combination, and it's a nice tie into the Rose City. I just think the execution of it was off. It's just kind of funny because it seems like everyone either loves it or hates it. There's no, there's not a whole lot of in between. But um, ah, I feel like, yeah, I I I think. Uh, Jonah Henderson uh, on Twitter had done like a mock-up based on just the rose pattern. It was a single rose and it looked so good that this is, when I saw this, I was like, oh, it's not as good as that was. Well, the the roses in the shirt at the, the final product are kind of this weird abstract or almost um, film like negative reverse kind of thing. Petals. Yeah, it's a, it's, I don't know. They, I, they I feel tattoo-like to me. And yeah, it does some, yeah. and it's like there's there's two that are quite close to the collar, so it just looks like a weird shape around the collar. Yeah, it the fact that the back is so stark in just the pink color with no pattern. I I, I mean I know That's why. Sweet. I know that there was no way of doing it with the number and the and the name and making that clear. But I you know. It's the same reason why they don't do stripes and hoops on the back. I do like the little logo down at the bottom, or the little badge at the bottom in reference to the Timbers Army with the skull and the um, uh, Rose City Till I Die in Latin. I think that's a, a cool little touch. And then that takes us to their nemesis, Seattle Sounders, who got a nifty new rave green and blue checkered design, more like race car design. I, You know what, guys? I, I kind of like this. I don't think this is a terrible look. No, that's a really good kit. Yeah, it's well executed. The the first mock-ups people made off of the leak of the of the checkers, where it was like the whole thing was rough. I mean, it was a great concept, but there was a lot of checker when you did the whole thing. Having it be like a racing strap up the middle is actually really nice. It's almost like a t you know tiger speckling or whatever cat that would be that has that kind of pattern. Almost, I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, 
insert comment here. No, it's, it seems a solid execution of two difficult colors to work with. Do they only have two MLS cups? Why do I feel like the Seattle has like a kajillion MLS they cups? Have four US Open cups. Oh, is that what it is? And okay. they're in the MLS Cup all the time, it seems like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they've been in the playoffs every year they've been around in MLS. All right. Well, so those are the first round of shirts. I know more stuff is coming probably tomorrow and uh, Thursday. Okay. Hmm? Did I miss this one? Well, it hasn't been released yet, but the uh, the Miami shirt was like the first leak in MLS. It's just plain, plain, plain pink, pink with a but fold over collar. But it's Miami pink. It's like yeah. flamingo pink, not this Portland or yeah, yeah Portland's. There's, there's just no nothing to it. There's yeah, it it's complete. Uh, you, you know, it's a complete one color, no pattern jersey. Yeah, but it's actually a good vibrant pink as opposed to the first one, which was just washed out, like you washed your socks with your white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if they had like the uh the watermarking that was on that jersey on this one then it'd be good this is just like somebody put the haynes t-shirt in the wash with a red sock both of you sound like guys who have done that in your life nope. yeah when i was a kid green towel <laughs> is the best i can say green towel uh so what did mls break this up and uh are they releasing these in groups is there another I mean, there were no releases today. These were all from Tuesday. Are there? I know Dallas is on Friday. Is there a, more releases coming out tomorrow? Is, is everything else on Friday? I think everything's Friday. Okay. All right. And we're anticipating exactly what you guys drew up on the website. We haven't heard anything different in terms of what Dallas is getting ready to roll out. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, no one's told us that we were off the mark. They tried people- to head... They tried to head fake everybody with the purple trombone background <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, to, just to be clear, the purple kid thing was a joke, everybody. That wasn't intended to be. Yes. Yeah, it's kind just of funny. Sh- this, normally when we do these, like, people will be like, oh, yeah. Uh, like, you know, like, hint, oh, yeah, nailed it. Or uh, there's a little difference that no one has said anything. They're probably just so used to you guys getting it right or being so close. Yeah. It's like they just expect us to do it so they don't even worry about it anymore. By the way, the purple background, just for everybody to know, the new shirt is red with blue quasi, you know, lines across the fronts. Red and blue makes purple. That's, I believe, why the purple reference in the background. Right? Yeah. Isn't that what we're all agreeing on? Okay, so there's kit talk. Good old-fashioned kit talk. Um Next, so a few weeks ago, I was trying to figure out my feelings about the 22 season, and as I do, uh, I tend to like make lists. I love a list, and I think everybody else loves a list, and so I I suggested to uh, Buzz and Dan that I present my five talking points for the 2022 season, and we discuss them here on the pod, and that's where this is going to take place here now. So, um, again, this isn't everything. These are kind of my top five things uh, that I'm most kind of focused on as we move into the new season. And the first one and the top one is what I call the year of Jesus, and uh, or Jesus, I should say. Uh, are you aware and- that the AD and the year, that's what that is? <laughs> what? Never mind. Buzz got it at least. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, the year of Jesus, uh, and and the the thing here is the my fascination over the fact, <clears throat> Buzz and Dan, that I you know the team has put a tremendous amount of weight and focus and money 
on a guy who, while he had a fantastic second half or you know last half of the 2021 season, I think if we're all being honest, Jesus is a guy who's a bit of who's been. We have spent a lot of time in this podcast the last few seasons. Uh, uh, being very hot and cold about him, wondering about why he's good one game, not good in another. And I do have a, I do think that this is what's fascinating about this is that he really now has been asked to take over a primary kind of critical position as a number nine in this new system with a new coach, and they've put a lot of responsibility on him as a high-paid, homegrown DP. Yeah, if, if we go back to 2019, um, Jesus had half of a good season that year playing as a nine. Uh, and I think that's what, you know, they're banking on, you know, once he was adapted and used properly as a 10, then he had a good season as a 10. It took him a while to adjust to playing back there as that off striker type, you know, and, and getting paired with a guy like Pepe, who he works better with, um, you know, with both have movement. Um, but yeah, it, you know, part of the reason why I think he's getting paid is because his agent is really skillful and if you, if you, there were teams that were interested in Jesus this winter, um, multiple teams, you know, and when you're, when you're selling Pepe for 20 million and here come teams sniffing around to buy your other, you know, main goal scorer from last year, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, you might have a moment of, oh man, what are we going to do? We can't lose both these guys. And so there probably had to be a conversation of what's it going to take to get you to stay here for the next five or six years. We need to keep somebody and build around them. We just got all this money for Pepe. We might as well use some of it. So I think that's why, you know, the money thing happened. I try and separate the money from the field, of course. So I, th I think when you combine, um, you know, the production at that position for a half of a season and the way you've seen him do it at a pretty decent way for the national team, excuse me, I'm pretty sure that you can feel pretty confident in MLS terms about using that guy in that spot. You know, this is a little bit of a rebuilding year, so it's not necessarily important that, that he scores 20 goals or anything. This isn't an MLS Cup challenge year. So I think they're probably content to build with him and go forward with him. And if he had a desire to be here, that maybe means a lot because there's a lot of dudes that don't want to be here and want to get out. And if he wanted to be here, that's good. All right, Dan, I don't, and this is not me being argumentative. I'm just expressing a, a question in my head. But the fact that all of the, the great uh, second half of 21 of Jesus that you paid against was a guy playing a very different position than you're asking him to play this year, right? Uh, it, it was. Uh, I mean, if we can take anything from from the ga uh, the two games this week about the way he's played as kind of like false nine, uh, he does drop into the same positions. He, uh, you know, at various times in that San Antonio game, he dropped behind and let Ariola or O'Brien uh, kind of come into the role. He he switched two to sides okay a couple of times, um, dropped back as like a dual ten with Paxton. So the problem is the problem you get is when he's dropping back even deeper, like Buzz had mentioned behind Edwin. Uh, if they want him to uh, kind of drop back and allow Ariola or O'Brien to kind of come in as that that second striker, that's that's fine. They've both played that position before. Um, you know I did a little takeaways piece from the San Antonio game and highlighted a, an overload where they kind of went to like almost a flat five up front. Uh, and it was Jesus's, Jesus and Imitimasi's movement that kind of triggered the whole thing. Um, 
it's just he's got to not get lost in the game. He's got to be that line breaking, uh, line breaking pass guy uh, or run guy. He's he's not got to be the guy that goes back in search of the ball, like early Pepe or or even Cobra to a degree, uh, who just you know tries to find the game and gets lost in it. Buzz, is it unfair to say that Jesus being successful and whatever variation of nine he plays this year may be the number one thing to keep an eye on for the this new season? Yeah, I think that's unquestionably true. Um, it, that's the position that'll make or break the team in terms of true success this year. Uh, you're not likely to get you know, 10 to 15 goals from a wing or an eight, you know, they're, they're kind of lining up where you might have multiple guys with high single digit goals. It might be one of those seasons where your leading scorer is going to have seven, eight or nine, but you might have six or seven guys sort of in that same neck of the woods. You know, if Jesus can carry that eight or nine goals up to 13, 14, 15, then you're looking at a Jason Christ like season and some real success. I don't think it's that still won't be challenged for MLS cup success, but that'll be comfortably in the playoffs and maybe, you know, getting a, a, a chance to beat a team or two in the playoffs. If you can get that kind of uh, output from him, you know, so he's the, the most volatile position and guy this year, I think in terms of success or failure, just from his play, I don't even, you know, I'm not counting like a guy getting hurt or something. You know, if Jesus stinks it up, this thing's not going to go very well because you're going to, then you're stuck with Frank O'Hara and as much as we like him as a bench piece, if you have to start him every game, that's a problem because he's too old to do that. Right. It probably means hot air Obreon, which may even be worse in many ways. Uh, yeah, no, certainly worse. Uh, that's really not a positive option by no. any means. All right. You use the phrase make or break, which would lead me to uh, my talking point number two, which is um, I th I'm hoping you guys will agree with me that 2022 is without question Paxton Pomacall's make or break season. Uh, I think it is in terms of his career. That's what know. I mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just trying to translate it into him specifically. Yeah, in terms of FC Dallas, if he were to get hurt again or not having a great year, it's not like FC Dallas would give up on him because, you know, they have a lot invested with him and he could be a lifetime player here to be MLS quality. But if he wants to be playing at a higher level than an FC Dallas, he needs to, uh, A, show he can get through a season healthy and also make a progressive step. If he looks like he looked last year, uh, it's probably, you know, the, the big career move is probably going to be out the window. You know, I mean, you never know. I mean, he could turn into his prime at 27 and somebody might make a splash for him. It won't ever be like to a 20 million kind of splash though. You know, this is a big one. So Dan, uh, Buzz's three takeaways video that he posted after this, after the, uh, uh, scrimmage today was, uh, expressing, I don't know. I don't know if Buzz, if you meant it as concern, but his takeaway of man, Paxton and Brandon are going to have to do a lot of work this year. Do you feel like that maybe puts Paxton's health situation at threat or does that actually work in his favor? I think that potentially works in his favor. Um, I mean, if we look at like the the whole two year recovery, year one is is get better. Year two is start to get back to the old you. Old you. Um, you know, we're still looking at the end of this season. Starting next is kind of hundred percent packs. Then now it's sharpening the tools. And I mean, yeah, if you're in a constant midfield battle, you're not going to get a, a better opportunity to do that. Um, you know, he's pain-free now. He, uh, you know, he's 
he's gone his season uh his season without surgery so hopefully this this is kind of it and this is the end of it and and yeah um it's definitely better than putting him in kind of a, a like a, a receding role in the team where he, he can't take over games and kind of dictate pace we've seen you know a little bit of that where a lot of plays pass to him and Sylvania is there to to help kind of take the some of the burden away but we're definitely seeing like you said, you know, you said you uh, you had those warm, fluttery feelings inside seeing packs and do packs and things. Boy, do I ever! So that would take me to point talking point two A, which is comes off of Buzz's comment about the amount of work that Brandon and Paxson are going to have to do, which is the frightening reality. This team is very, very thin at center midfield. I mean, if Paxton and or uh, Brandon have any kind of extended injury or they need to take a break they don't really have a quality option to fill that spot. Yeah. By the way, Dan, well played using the word receding when discussing Paxton. Um, oh. Right now you're looking at maybe a areola sliding in there. Imatu Omasi can slide in there. Um, you can, you can flip to a double and go Faku or and Edwin, or really you could even use Faku as an eight in a pinch. And we've seen that one do eight in a pinch. I don't like it, but I've seen him do it. You know, you can even do something crazy like Khalil in there. You know, they've got, I mean, there's <laughs> none of that guy, is good. <laughs> none, of, none of it is good. Well, that's what we've been talking about for weeks now. That's glaring gigantic hole in the eight position on the depth chart. There's a couple of open roster spots. There's a massive problem. Even if they sign Benny, a uh, Blaine Ferry, which I want them to do, there still is a, both he and Siki are not ready to start level players. You need, if you want competition, legit competition, in every position, you need a player at the eight who is capable of being an MLS starter. They don't need to be better than Paxton and Brandon, but they need to be able to actually legitimately push those two guys. You know, maybe like a Shun, like U 22 guy might be a good option. Possibly that you have an open international spot. Maybe there's a thought they're just going to wait till May for Thomas to come back. You know, his, his, lo- his loan does not have a buy. This is a new coach. He might be willing to give Thomas a shot. And so maybe he's willing to wait. I don't know. Well, it's a process, right? All right. So what is, uh, what is currently Blaine Ferry's uh, situation? And I ask because I, if you're going to tell me they're going to sign him, I think there is a significant reason why that is a really huge deal in our local soccer scene. Yeah. And I'll explain that. Sure. Blaine's situation is that the uh, North Texas Soccer Club picked up his option for this year, so he is under contract. But he's been with FC Dallas the whole spring and did not go back to North Texas when they split the teams up. Uh, initially, he was wearing number 34, and today they changed him to number 27. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but if this was the start of the season, that would mean that he was getting a contract because that's a jump from a trialist academy number up to a squad number. Those minor little things matter. You know, nothing's locked in stone because it is preseason. So, um, there are a lot of signs that they're either seriously considered signing him or they already have signed him um, as a depth piece at the eight. They have room for him. Uh, and, and I'm sure, Peter, you're going to tell the story of what his backstory is because um, he is definitely, definitely a very talented player that we, we're, we're glad to see making progress again. Well, the reason why I think it's significant, and I don't mean to get o- away from the talking points too far, but the reason why him, Dallas signing him would be significant is I think I'm correct in saying, would he not be the first player FC Dallas signed that essentially is a homegrown, but from a different club team in the Dallas area? He's a solar kid. He's not an FC Dallas kid. Has Dallas ever signed somebody that didn't come from their own academy, but was a local kid? 
And Nikki Hernandez played for Texans. Ah, that's the one I'm forgetting. Okay. I mean, if you want to go way back, I mean, pre their academy that Ramon was. Yeah, that, I think that's yeah. different. But uh, yeah, I, I, okay. Well, even if he's not the first, I still think that's a significant deal that a kid can come from Solar or some other, you know, DK, uh, DKSC or whatever and actually get the opportunity to play for FC Dallas at the MLS level would be a huge yeah. deal. Well, important that he would be the first Solar guy, I'm pretty sure. Um, but also he can't be a homegrown. He is from their homegrown territory. But if he signed a professional deal when he was in with North Texas, that means that homegrown territory no longer applies, number one. And number two, he couldn't be a homegrown because he didn't actually play for the FC Dallas Academy. While, yes, you can sign him, and I, yes, I th- and I think that they're leaning towards doing that, he, he can't be a homegrown for multiple technical reasons. But I'm with you that it still is a great signing to get a guy from another academy who definitely did not want to be involved with FC Dallas at all when he was a player adamantly, you know, and then also it's a usage of North Texas to get a guy who needed a reclamation needed a, was a project player and to see him get here, get his mind right and progress himself and become a serious pro. Um, You know, I say that without having talked to him, of course, but I can just look at his behavior on the field only and tell that there's been a change in the kid. He's now, he's now behaves in terms of training and the way his body as a legit adult professional, and he's making great strides in the team. Now, is he ready to start instead of Paxton? No, of course not. But, you know, if you're talking about a guy who can provide a good piece for you for some years going ahead, I think he definitely qualifies. Mm. Imagine a world many, many years ago when Dallas decided to get into this, uh, this uh, youth slash academy soccer business if they had just considered how they managed all those relationships uh, with all the other existing established uh, soccer community in North Texas and really, really worked hard to try to do this as a collaborative thing and not a competitive, hey, we're going to kill and take from everybody kind of thing and and all of the awful relationships that everything turned into, I think 2022 would look very, very different uh, in many ways, especially in, when it comes to attendance. Uh, let's see. That leads me to talking point number three, which is another rookie coach. I do. I still continue to spend uh, more time than I probably should pondering the oddity of the fact that uh, Luchi Gonzalez and uh, Nico Estevez essentially just traded jobs. <laughs> and I do. And I and I and I think I'm ready to admit that I think Nico is fundamentally a different level coach than Lucci. Um, but he also arrives with zero MLS head coaching experience. And I just, I am a little concerned that that's an element of unknown for everybody moving into the new season. Do Dan, do you have any concerns about that at, at least so far? Uh, maybe later in the season right now, I think, you know, there's such a feel good factor and uh, FC Dallas, the sort of thing that can patch over some of those uh, personnel related uh rookie mistakes um speaking to people in the organization you know he's he's got a much clearer vision of how he wants the system to be than lucci did where you know we every preseason buzz and i would say yeah they're talking about pressing and then three weeks later it's weird they were talking about pressing it just went away um you know what he what he wants his style to be is is far more defined and and based on you know experience as a, an MLS bench coach and a scout and a, a US men's national team bench coach and then uh, you know lower down in in Spain 
which, you know, Lucci, we talked about how many times he had tendencies that were geared towards the academy, like taking Orion Holland's head and being like, well, or Jesus, of, he can play in several places, so he has to be there somewhere. And then you end up kind of ruining that player to a degree. Uh, Buzz, you are a person that spends an inordinate amount of time, or at least a unique amount of time, with head coaches. Do you have any sense that, I guess the question is, is he fundamentally different from Lucci in ways that make you not worry about his resume or experience as an MLS head coach? Yeah, the biggest one uh, is, you know, when I sat down and looked at the resume, um, how many times did we talk about Lucci uh, and the idea that he had never coached adults, you know, and the, the idea that it was, while we I liked him as a coach, I was really worried about that experience. Uh, and then you sit down and you look at Nico Estevez's resume. And yes, he started out coaching in some academy, but then he coached the B team, which is equivalent to coaching North Texas for a few years. And then somebody else launched a team in a, in a like a B level. I can't remember what it was. And so he, but it was their first team. So he went and coached that team for a season. And they went back to Valencia and coached their reserve team, which is again, you know, different variations of different leagues, you know, and then, you know, filled in as an interim coach, which is the Marco Ferruzzi kind of thing. So like Lucci had none of that. So like, if you sit down and look at their resumes, you can see that um, there, if you put them on the same track, which you can now say, well, Lucci going to the assistant with a national team, great move on Lucci's part, broaden his resume. That Estevez is basically a decade ahead of Lucci in terms of the progression of his career. So I don't have a big problem with a first year coach by itself you know, and I think that there's plenty of meat on Estevez's resume to think that he has all the qualities. Now, in terms of me dealing him personally and watching him work training, uh, what the biggest change right now from Lucci is the is, is the word I will use is the word focus. He doesn't Lucci talked a whole lot more all the time. You can see it on the sidelines that Estevez does not. In training, Estevez talks a lot less than Lucci does. So maybe when he does talk, people pay attention a little bit more. There's a whole lot more tactical specifics. This is the first coach that I can recall that brings a whiteboard out onto the grass to draw up the drill in front of everybody. This is exactly what we're doing. That's a different thing. So um, the crispness of sessions, the tightness of sessions, the way it's all planned out and coordinated, that's all of that I put under the idea of focus. So that's the biggest the, the 10 years more of the resume and that slight difference from Lucci, which maybe Lucci will be that way eventually, but he's not now. Now Lucci's a uh, teacher, a speaker, you know, gives speeches a lot. So people tended to, towards the end, I think tuned him out a lot. So that for now, that's the biggest demonstrable difference. Um, Nico Estevez's interviews are way shorter. And so far they're all still full of coach speak for the most part. So I got to get him to come around on that, but just charming. Even one more one more thing that we highlighted with Lucci a lot was that he surrounded himself with a lot of people who were also in, in an early stage in their MLS coaching career. You, whereas Nico has uh, Javier Cabello and uh, Miguel Villagrasa, both of those guys have like 25 years of professional coaching experience each. I, um, I would not mind. At the, the highest pieces, level too. Yeah, the piece that the, the, uh, Seves is missing um, is the same piece Lucci actually was missing was a guy that's been in MLS for 15 years. A guy like when Hyman got hired, he went out and got, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Gorman. Um, who? Gorman. No, Gorman was the TD. The oh, okay. Ellinger, John Ellinger. Sorry, Ellinger, right. Ellinger, yeah. Ellinger, yeah. Yeah. Ellinger. So like, like 
uh, the, the good example for FC Dallas would be Marco. Like if you'd have hired, if you'd have just gone ahead, put Marco on the bench as an assistant, you know, that somebody that has 15 years of league experience. So Lucene's been in this league, but only for oh. a couple of years, right? Ben Cross I mean, is got, the other one. Who? Ben Cross is the other one. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. He's only had a, f- a few years in the league, but I mean, guy's got an MLS cup at least. Yeah, it's it's the MLS technicalities and like minutia and tiny little things of a guy who's been around the league a long time is the only piece they're missing. Now, hopefully, perhaps Drew Keyshawn is that guy. So maybe he'll fill that role as he tried to do under Lucci. But, um, you know, I, I still think there maybe there could have been a guy like that on the bench, but that's not the guy that has that same role, as you say, is just not with tons of experience, just isn't an MLS guy. That's all. So um, there's no reason to think that with Estevez's time at Columbus and with the national team that he hasn't learned enough to be fine. So it's a tiny, tiny concern. Okay. That leads us to a talking point about the 22 season number four. And this is a particular bone I have. And I realize that that ultimately the answer to this may be that Dallas really didn't have too much of a choice because this particular player really wanted to go. But I'm just sticking my flag in the ground now that I'm really worried that uh, loaning Justin Che away from this team is going to come back to haunt them this season. Um, and and I'm wondering if you guys see that as a mistake in the same way I do. Uh, I don't think it's a mistake. Um, when you combine the idea that he wanted to go and you combine the idea that using him at right back last year cost you uh, a fair amount, you know, maybe uh, you, may, you could maybe directly – point to the points lost as the why they missed the playoffs by what was it one or two points um i think that in my opinion using him out wide is a mistake there are other people that think he can be a right back i don't think he's again i think he could be a serviceable right back i think he could be a great center back but it's going to take three or four years of playing center back for him to get there just yeah, like it who, has with Chris Richards. But, but who the is thing, the, but who is thinking about using him as a right back? I'm talking about using him as one of your four center backs. I mean, I it, it, it to me the 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 reason why I'm mad is that I think he should be in Dallas fighting for a starting job as a center back on this team, especially when you take into consideration the two guys you consider your veteran starters are guys coming off of just injury-laden seasons, one's north of 30 and one's close to it, and we still don't know how good Martinez is, frankly. Uh, I'm not worried about Tafari. That's just why I think loaning Che is just going to end up being a big problem this year. Well, it's the the problem for me here is that uh, he would not have started a lot. You would have kept him around with the idea that he might get a couple. So you well, then... You're either going to use him at right back, which to me is a problem, or you got to try and convince the kid to go play at North Texas again. And you got to say, I want, I need you to start 25 games in North Texas. And he's not going to want to do that, right? He thinks he should be starting in Major League Soccer. He's not going to go back to North Texas. Whereas, like, if you're talking about a Bundesliga team, well, I'll play for that team's reserves because I'm, you know, at the Bundesliga. So when you're 17 years old, that's a big difference. Especially when a guy who's mad that you didn't sell him to Byron and he worked something else out, you know, you got the loan deal. So I'm I'm not on board. I'm not I'm okay with it being loaned. You know, it's not it's not a sale. They just loaned him. So all right, Dan, whose side are you taking on this one? I'm with Basil now. I think you're wasting his development if you say, okay, your fourth choice centre back. So you're not even guaranteed to make the the 18. You're not gonna have him. He's not gonna go to North Texas. 
you know, his other option is, okay, he's fighting with Nanu and Ima Tumasi to be one of the, you know, one of the two options at right back. Mm. I just, it's, I don't know, you know why you guys keep talking about right back. I keep wondering why he's not fighting for a starting job as a center back. If he's the, if he's this quality, if he is the talent, everybody tells me he is as a center back in terms of upside. Why isn't he, and and if in fact he turns out to be getting, if in fact, as the coach over there says he's going to, going to get time in the Bundesliga as a center back, or whatever he's getting over there, I don't know, because I think they play three in the back, why isn't he doing that here in Dallas? Well, because he's 17. Um, you know, center, the Bundesliga team has said that they, one reason they like him is because they can move him all over, and they can play him at right back and left back. So, I mean, they're going to move him all over the place. Hmm. I, I think it's a disservice, but I, I'm basing the idea that he's a, that they would use him at right back because FC Dallas has said that he, they see him as having either profile. They think he can do great at both. I, I disagree, but it's their club. You know, and, and at center back, a 17-year-old kid, which is what he was when I last looked, uh, is not going to be starting at center back. You need, not an MLS. You need there's far too much experience needed to be in there, and he's okay. not going to get it. You know, at least in the Bundesliga, like he'll be in that training, and it'll probably crush him for a bit. And they'll they'll be able to send him down to their second team and reserve team and get him minutes and bring him back and forth, and he'd probably feel better about that than he did. You know, that doing that same thing here at North Texas. Now, I I, I would use him before I'd use Bartlett, but you know that still is Dan's right. He's not going to make the bench for the first six months of the season. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I was going to say, did, do you, would you lean anywhere towards my side of thinking now that you've seen Bartlett play, but I guess you've already answered that. Question. Well, yeah, no, I would have him on the death chart ahead of Bartlett, but that doesn't mean that I'm not okay with a loan. You know, okay. if it does, if it's not working out, you can bring him back. You know, it's, right. they didn't sell him yet. I just want to, like, I've stuck my flag in the ground when Hedges and Martinez are both, you know, on the sideline and Dallas is desperate for a center back. Don't laugh. Don't be yeah. mad at me when I laugh at everybody. Okay? <laughs> if Bartlett's if Bartlett ends up having to play, then I might be agree. With, then I'll probably come back and say, "My bad, you were right." <laughs> okay. I'm looking this way. Is it a mistake for Che or a mistake for the team to loan him? Which is the way you mean, Peter? Well, yeah. So I, again, this is one of those deals where uh, I'm out of my depth. But my just it, my feeling is is I don't want to see Che in a Brian Reynolds situation. You and I both know that he's the odds of him getting starting Bundesliga time, yeah. double time, is very low, right? Yeah. So he's going to yeah. end up playing in some sort of German regional league or with their U23s or whatever it is, which isn't as good, and I don't think as good a use of his time as he would get here in Dallas. I think he's good enough to arguably fight for a starting center back position on this team. He's faster, he's younger, he's more mobile than either Martinez and Hedges. And I, you know, I think him battling with Tafari for that third position is a real thing that probably would have been better for his career. But I'm also not a kid who you know, spent time in Germany and have dreams of doing that. So I guess I shouldn't hold that yeah. against him. My my base assumption based on how these things go is that they'll play him in their reserve team for a season. At the end of that time, when the loan is up, they'll decide whether they want to buy him or not. And if they buy him, then they'll loan him like Byron did loaning Chris to Hoffenheim. They'll loan him out to somebody lower down the division or in the second division in order to get him actual playing time at center back until, you know, two years later, they'll, he'll actually be ready to play for, uh, Hoffenheim. So, right. you know, that, that, or play in or when, until they actually can 
get Richards or not, you know, and that'll change things too. So I, I think Che's situation probably is better for him because that's what he wanted to do. But I am concerned that Dallas will regret it because I'm yeah. not convinced Hedges and Martinez can stay healthy. I'm just I'm very worried about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That takes us to the final talking point of the 2022 season. And in many ways, this may be the most important one, although it has nothing to do with the on-field product, which is the following. Can this front office affect the change needed to regularly fill Toyota Stadium 16 times a year? I think that this market, you can do that. I don't know that in the history of this club, we've seen them be able to execute it to be able to do that. Nothing in their history says that they will be capable of doing it. So it's all going to be about the new guy. Clearly things have changed around this club. They're acting differently in terms of player acquisition. They're acting differently in lots of phases of the the front office that we can tell that we can, that we are privy to. Uh, they're acting slightly different already in the marketing. We're seeing advertising in places we've never seen it before. So uh, it depends on whether they're whether they are capable of taking the message of this new era. You see it trumpeting it all over the place and communicating that out to the general audience. So technically, the the, the ability is here in this market to make it happen. But nothing in the track record says that they have been able to before this. Uh, I like that. Uh... You, you gave him that game off and said only fill it 16 times a season. Uh, no. <laughs> I forgot, right. There's more than 16. Um, can, can this front office do that? No. Um, I think some of the personalities at the top and one of them may be the president of the team and one of the two owners um, gets in their own way a little bit too much for, for things like that. Um when it comes to you know giveaways, promotions, things like that, there is definitely um, some people in high places who have attitudes of, well, we need to see like a hundred percent return on investment, which is just completely unrealistic, not a gradual growth. Now, maybe Jerome, the new uh, VP of marketing, can is you know can convince people to change their ways, but there's just way too much to change to sort of say in the short term that they'll regularly fill that stadium. Yeah, I'm just worried this is like a restaurant that's just had too many incidences of food poisoning over the years and the word's gotten around um, and 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 the, the amount of money and time and effort it was going to take to reestablish trust and interest and burn off all the apathy uh, that the hunts have, you know, barnacled on this ship over the last almost 20 years is just so great. I just don't, I don't know what they're going to be able to do to generate the interest. And the only thing that I can think of that is the fact that maybe a Paxton or a Jesus or these kids that are playing on a national scale when they're playing with the national team just become enough of an interest to generate and drive. Uh, because look, Selling 20,000 tickets 16, 17 times a year is, is in, in professional sports uh, business, not a big lift, right? I mean, that's not a big number. It's not like selling out Texas Stadium or anything like that. That's a small, tiny stadium. It's 20,000 people. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful, uh, but I, I'm also very, uh, very suspect. Just to take the the restaurant analogy, it's kind of like having like a real niche cuisine as well. And the most fanatical people in the area who've tried it over the past twenty five years, you've given them food poisoning to the point where it <laughs> killed them. 
Yeah. And you need or, to like, try the, and convince new people now. Or maybe even maybe a little less dramatic than that, Dan, is is just that the dining experience just hasn't, you know, gotten them to want to come back on a regular basis, right? Like, Well, I, I mean more the, yeah, I'm talking about the, the people who were like, yeah, MLS is a level I'm willing to invest in. You know, I'm willing to drive from Fort Worth or Wichita Falls or Waxahachie or wherever. And over years and years, they've just been ground down by salespeople, by the quality of the team and things the organization do. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of like if they want to really fill that stadium every week, they've got to get new people. And they've also got to find a way in some way to convince the, the people who they've kind of pushed away to turn the TV back on to maybe make the, the you know, the Houston game, things like that, if you want to like really regularly rain or shine fill that stadium. Well, a big component of it is, and this is where the team has really fallen down badly, is just in their relationship with the local sports media. I mean, I, I know personally that, you know, the, the apathy, apathy levels about this club across radio, print, and television is has been and continues to be terribly low and i know that there are people inside the club that will try to argue otherwise but i'm in that business and i'm telling you uh, nobody cares and they are a critical component of it remember a few years ago every week without fail you'd have on on fox or nbc you'd have stephen keel popping up on one day dan hunts on another day george john's on a different day you know now they can't get a, they can't get a look in unless someone gets flung thirty feet by a car and breaks their neck. Well, they don't have that anymore either. So that is my I, I do think that's another uh, you know if we're thinking about off the field things to think about and keep an eye on for this season, it is you know do they f- jump up the attendance and season ticket sales uh, and rankings in terms of anything else? So uh, I think that uh, that's something to keep an eye on. All right, those are my five things. I hope you enjoyed them as much as as I did. Um, By the way, Houston, uh, Houston Dynamo just dropped their kit. Oh, jumping back there. to kit talk. Let's look at yep. this. I see it in the group me chat. Okay, so it's a black shirt with. Okay, have they explained what this pattern <laughs> is? It oh, looks like a yeah. dirty countertop. It looks like <laughs> yeah. you know what? It looks like a black um, uh, quartz countertop. Yeah, this it's called the Bayou City kit. Hmm. Okay. It looks like an oil slick in the bayou. Yeah, yeah it does. It That's does, exactly it? what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> Interesting that the three stripes on the top are silver and not orange. Yeah. It, uh, a lot of the trim on this one is orange. Just very, very light little cuff and a little bit of collar and a tiny bit of logo. But they're only on the black these days. You know, that's their. Yeah. They're more black than they is are this, orange. This is their away or their primary? It's their secondary. They're secondary. Away. Okay. Their, their primary is most the importantly. The cuff and the the collars and the uh, the collar and the cuffs do not match. Yeah, it says silver, by the way. Technically, not that you Buzz care about didn't that. get the joke that time. I was reading the press release while I was listening. <laughs> Sorry, the collar and the cuffs don't match. Yeah, only one of them's ginger. The other one's uh, yeah. a silver fox. Mm. All right. Uh, so, do you guys want to hear an interesting story related to the club that came up the other day? Oh, do Always. I? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I live so, for this. Okay. Do you guys, I want everybody to put on the Wayback Machine and go back to like 
2012, somewhere in there towards the, when Shellis Hyman was the coach of the team. Do you guys remember when you would visit with people that work at the team that there was this running kind of story going around about a guy who was like kept popping up inside the office or on the field pr- prior to games and nobody really could figure out who he was and and there was always this conversation with people that worked in the club that there was a guy who was posing as an employee or a staff member and it was kind of a running joke that nobody knew who he worked for or who he was and his name was his name was Brad do you guys ever remember hearing about that back in the day well, I, only in the vaguest terms do I remember this story at all. And, I, and it may be that I'm making it up now because I don't – it's only just sort of tickling that I maybe – no, I got nothing. <laughs> okay. Dan, do you remember it all? No, I was in a different country at the time. Okay. So uh, just to kind of flesh this out, there was at the time, if you would talk to people around the club, and it, and it became more of a mythical lore story in the years after the fact, that people would reflect on it and joke about it, about the guy who was posing as an employee or a member of the coaching staff and nobody knew who he was. And um, and it was just this crazy deal. And ultimately, uh, what ended up, I believe, happening was is that it had gotten so bad that the club had to ban him from the facility. And I think the breaking point was somebody caught him in one of the suites on a game day uh, talking to season ticket holders, telling people he was the vice president of the club. And they somebody actually saw this happening and had to kick him out and they had to threaten him and tell him never to come back. And I've heard stories that uh, after the fact, uh, uh, key employees had to contact him and insist that he removed from his LinkedIn page that he was an employee of that particular person at the club. Okay, so the reason why I'm telling you the story is that if you are a person that follows local news or local politics uh, or local political news, last weekend a story popped up about a guy named Brad Namdar who is running for Texas Congress (laughs) and is a Republican candidate, and he had been endorsed by the Dallas Morning News Well, he has been uh, charged with allegations that he had hired a local hooker on a few occasions. And he's also this guy that's part of this anti-traffic, anti-sex trafficking program. But apparently this uh, local hooker has claimed that he's hired her a few times. And then it came out that uh, he at one point had been an assistant soccer coach or something at North Dallas High School. And a teenage girl had accused him back in the day of being inappropriate with her. And it turned into this whole thing. Well, this Brad Namdar is the guy that is the mythical guy from FC Dallas. So he's the guy that's been faking he was working for the team. Yes, it's the same dude. And so it's a weird story, guys, because the word was at the time that he had gotten into the club because he was from SMU, right? And he had come up through Shellis Hyman uh, Association, that Shellis was the one that brought him into the club. Well, there's also a backstory to this because he has claimed that he was part of Shellis's coaching staff at SMU and had done something with the soccer team that then somehow allowed him to walk on the SMU football team. 
And if you're, and he's actually now part of uh, SMU football lore. In 2011, SMU was playing A and M, and they had scored late and brought it close. And so to try to win the game or at least catch up, they tried to execute an onside kick. Well, if you remember this. It is the worst execution of an onside kick you will ever see in the game of football. And the person kicking the ball looks like he's never kicked a football once in his life. It's Brad Namdar. (laughs) This dude is unbelievable. It is the most crazy, insane story. After this, he leaves, somehow gets into the FC Dallas building. And I think what's, you know, I'm kind of putting things together. I think he wedged his way into the offices and nobody really knew if Shellis had hired him as an intern. And so nobody said anything. And Shellis saw him there and thought maybe somebody at the front office had hired him as an intern. And he just kind of like settled in there. So there's like pictures of him at pregame warmups and coaching gear. It's, it's the craziest story in the whole world. So if you're reading the headlines about a guy running for Congress charged with hiring a hooker or whatever and you see the name brad namdar know that he has a significant place in fc dallas mythical back office lore that honestly is one of the best fc dallas stories i've ever heard that's phenomenal it may need to go on the uh, vaunted list of things unique to dallas that we we got to add oh yeah yeah for sure from multiple years yeah, for multiple years. Uh, okay, let's see. What else? Um, oh, Buzz, you are trying to keep everybody up to date with a new article about the Academy and kids yeah. playing for North Texas. Yeah, I just managed to ask enough people that I got a what I think is a pretty close to comprehensive list of all the Academy guys that are currently with North Texas. I've talked a little bit about how North Texas is going to be changing a little bit this year in terms of the number of Academy players. So uh, we don't need to talk about it on the pod, but I just wanted to trumpet it on the website. You guys can all go. I put a short blurb about every one of the guys that's in North Texas training because there's a good chance you're going to see a fair amount of them playing for North Texas this year if you're into that scene, which I think is really important. I really like it. So just wanted to trumpet that a little bit. You guys should all go check it out. And then I saw that uh, all the way from a TV station in Arkansas, Tommy Poo is getting a little uh, television pub back in his home state. Yeah, it's it's a fun little news feature. Uh, and the two things that struck me about it, um, one is uh, how um, articulate Thomas is in the sense that he, his answers aren't cliched, just like I'm happy to be here and it was good and then it was cool. He actually gave, gave a couple of decent, thoughtful answers. You know, he's still a relatively young guy, so that was kind of impressive. And the other was, despite the fact that in the introduction to the piece and in the story and everything else, it clearly says Austria. In the middle of the feature, the local news guy says he's playing in the Australian First Division (laughs) in the middle of the story. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's wearing the kit, you know, and he's talking about going to Austria, and it's like, and the voiceover says Australia. They don't know the the difference in Arkansas. Yeah, it is Arkansas. Yeah, they don't they don't know the difference. Yeah. Uh, that's good for Tommy Poo. Um, you know, I saw somebody ask you on Twitter, is he ever coming back to play for Dallas? That's never, he, he doesn't want to come back. Does he? Well, I think the key word is play. If the, if he feels like the new coach wants him to come in and may actually play, you know, depending on where Paxton and Brandon are, you know, you need some, you probably going to need people to go in there at some point. You know, those guys can't play 34 games each. Um, so it'll depend on that conversation because there is no buy clause in his loan. It just, it ends in May period. So they Mm. will have to come in and renegotiate a price. So how much do they want him? How much does the new coach want him? You know, we'll see. Okay. Uh, the next scrimmage is Saturday. Is that correct? Saturday, 6 PM. And what is the options for attending said scrimmage? 
It's the same as the um, San Antonio one. If you bought a ticket to the opening game of the regular season, then you got a ticket to this game, um, which includes season ticket holders. It's, it is going to be streamed, though. That's what the team says anyway. So, And then I also saw today that they announced that they are on Friday, though, holding a practice that you were open to attend and pull up a chair for, correct? For fans, yeah. Uh, they ask everybody to park in the uh, the blue tundra lot, which I think is the one on the east side of the field number four. And that's where they'll be. You have to you have to look through the fence. You don't get to come into the side of the fence, according to the thing I saw anyway. Hmm. So um, you know, bring a lawn chair and and pull up. And I, and I'm sure that they will have some uh, coach talking to the fans and some player interaction and that kind of stuff. They wouldn't trump at an open session if they didn't include that kind of stuff. And the kit drop is that morning, so entirely possible. I have no idea for sure, but entirely possible there might be some kit opportunities or discount opportunities or whatever. If you go watch that, it's rare to get an open training session here in FC Dallas to the open to the fans. So people should take advantage of it. Uh, Dan, do you think uh, when there's a break in between sessions, they'll give fans an opportunity to hit corner buckets? Uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no. They should do that. They should yeah. totally do that. I think they should just have a fans v players game at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No referee, no rules, no nothing. Just... Chaos. Murder ball. Forty fans it. versus two players. That'd be fair, <laughs> Wait, actually. Oh, we, we call it prison rules. Yeah. Prison rules. It'd be like those videos where it's like two guys against a, a, a bunch of school kids, like a hundred yeah. school kids. That would be great. That'd be that's the only way it would be even. All right. Well, uh congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations to Houston for having a super boring jersey. Good for them. Okay. Uh anything they got else? Three points in a friendly. I saw that. That's right. I celebrated. That's so yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Dan Hunt doing the three more points chant during a playoff game. <laughs> oh, jeez. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, you can laugh at Houston. Just remember that uh, you, yeah. you, you, can't, you can only laugh because you can at least understand the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we need to talk about today, fellas? Shout out to El Jefe for doing the uh, Soccer 90 Reads today. First fan. This is Dustin Christman reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, has been brought to you by Soccer 90, located at Toyota Stadium next to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Check out the new Ted Lasso headbands, new MLS gear, and of course, the new FC Dallas home jersey. All Third Degree listeners receive 20% off their purchase when you use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Support local soccer, y'all. Thank you to Pappy Check for the uh, beautiful music as well. Dan, thank you for all your time and insights, sir. Good, well done stuff there. Thank you. You're, you're, you're welcome. And uh, thank you, Buzz, for all your amazing hard work on your 25th season, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. Let me know when you're going to get this Brad dude on your uh, kick around. I'll, I'll tune in for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Brad Namdar, although I do feel like I need to run out when the new jersey comes out. I need to get a new jersey with Namdar on the back. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> That'll be a very that, obscure reference. No one's gonna get that, that would be a very, very obscure, but 
hilarious reference. You know, All right, it, thank. It, what, yeah, what, 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 it's what? just funny. I was just, it reminded me really quick. You know, there's probably I could probably there's probably ten times in my life where somebody I know has told me that their friend played for the Burner FC Dallas, and I'm like, no, he didn't. And they're like, no, oh, yeah, didn't. no, he was a no, no, he didn't. You know. Look, I I think that the story of this guy is an onion that is going to peel apart, and we're going to find out he's that catch me if you can kind of yeah. guy who yeah. has somehow finagled his way through the system and he's got absolutely nothing going on yet somehow he's going to figure we're going to find out that his entire life is just this you know scam or grift at one right after the other that's just what i wonder if that's what how this is all going to end up playing out and somehow some way uh, fc dallas played a small part in it that would be pretty damn funny if if you could agree all right do oh, i get yeah. to do i get to try my dismount again here yeah all right. All right. Here we go. Dismounting attempt number two. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Namdar is a funny name, though. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. 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 Thank you.